Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message on the Elevate Church podcast. We believe that God will speak to you wherever you are. Now, let's prepare our hearts and hear what God has for us today. Hey, what's going on, church? How's everybody today? You guys good? I think we're good. Hey, would you do me a favor? Everybody stand up to your feet. And while you're standing up to your feet, ask your neighbor right now how old they are. Go ahead and ask them. Because I know they're dying to tell you. Okay. And if they're close to your age, go ahead and ask them for their digits if you think they're cute. If you like them, you might as well. Or wait and do that later. Um, I want to do something a little bit different today. I want to start out by reading a, a passage of scripture that we're going to look at. It's found in 1 John chapter 4. And I want to do something I don't normally do. I want to read through this entire text without giving, and this is going to be difficult for me, but without giving any commentary because I don't want to add anything to God's perfect and holy word in this moment. I do believe he wants to, to speak something to us through these, this, this text. And so uh, let me just set it up. This is written by the apostle John. John was, scholars believe, the youngest of the apostles that Jesus ever called out. John was an OG fisherman. He was one of the original fishermen. He was the son of, of Zebedee. It was James and John, the sons of Zebedee. In fact, Jesus gave John and James nicknames. He called them the sons of thunder. I love that. I want that nickname. I want to give my boys that nickname, the sons of thunder. And John is writing this from his sage phase of life. He's up there in years. In fact, he's the only one of the original crew of the apostles who was not martyred. He, he's a guy that lived late into his twilight years. Some scholars believe 62. I've seen the age of 99, but that's where he's writing this from. And I don't know how many of you, how many of you know that the older we get, the more I, I've come to appreciate people who have experienced some stuff. You know what I mean? Talking about sit across the table from someone who's, who's lived a little bit of life, who's elderly, who's been up there in years. I'm just learning to, to, to listen more and not talk as much, just to ask questions. But this is kind of the age that John writes what we're about to read from. And so I want us to take a look. It says this. Now, I want to preach from this title today, The Irresistible Bait. And it's going to become very clear Exactly what that is as I read this. Verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another with that same kind of love. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. 
So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is so, also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Anyone who says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must love his brother. Heavenly Father, that is your perfect word. And I'm about to do my best to add commentary to it, God, but I am flawed. I bring my bias. I bring my baggage. I bring my lenses to your word through which I've lived life in my own experiences, God, but I also bring with me a love of you and a passion for you. And so I pray that as we do our best to dissect this this morning, that it's your spirit that would lead us and speak to us about this, this illogical kind of love that you have given us so that we are to give that to the world around us. God, I pray that as we walk out of these doors today, you would strengthen us and encourage our hearts, giving us a passion to love people the way you've loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, you can have a seat. Let me ask you this. Have you ever, ever um, had really good intentions? And this thing is like super hot or something. Had really good intentions. It's thumping up in here. Meant really well, but the outcome wasn't exactly what you planned. You know what I'm talking about? Like you wanted to do something, but because maybe you were naive or maybe you were younger, you had really good intentions to do something, but the outcome didn't go so well. Uh, my son Jake, when he was about eight or nine years old, uh, he was passionate about inviting his friend to church. And so I'm talking about because we're in this series, you know, called Hooked, and we're talking about evangelism and, and how we're supposed to, to, you know, give the good news of the gospel to everyone we can as far and as fast as we can. So Jake has this very sensitive kind of heart. I mean, he's just filled with the spirit. And he's like, I want to invite my friends. And he was in elementary school at the time. The problem was Jake didn't have a phone and neither did his friend. So my wife, Kristen, let Jake text his his friend's mom and invite him to church. And so Jake texts his friends to say, hey, I want you to come to church with me. You know, would you, you please come to church with me? And he sent him one of those, uh, is it called a gif or a gif? Somebody say it out loud. You guys don't know either. Okay, so <laughs> one of those things. And so he found one that was like, like, please. And so this is exactly what Jake texted his friend on his phone. He said, come to church at 1030. <laughs> Cute little penguin. And then he's looking for something that says, please. And he found, be please. Good intentions, right? A little bit of the wrong outcome, a little bit misguided. And the funny thing is that went from my wife's phone to his friend's mom's phone. And so Kristen had some damage control, you know, to kind of do. But I was thinking about this and thought, man, that's a, the same is true in our life. 
Like this, this passion that we have, we have good intentions to do things and, and we want to do things right, but sometimes we get it wrong. And sometimes we, we are just too maybe naive perhaps. And, and my same son, Jake, who has that passionate heart, we were having this conversation about uh, a neighbor of ours who was a little grumpy, who was a little mean, you know, to the boys. And we're like, hey guys, we have the ability to like, to like love people well. We, in fact, God's word tells us, and we have this teachable kind of moment, God's word tells us that we are to love our enemies and to, to pray for those who persecute us. And so, man, we can, we can show this unbelievable love that could make a difference in someone's life. And Jake, being the passionate, you know, kind of sensitive, you know, guy that he is, man, he thought, all right, I need to, I need to pray for my, for my enemies. Well, not long after that, my wife and I went out of town for a couple of nights, and we get this call in the middle of the night, and it's Jake. And again, he's young, and he's sobbing, he's crying, he's, he's terrified. We're like, Jake, what's wrong? What's wrong? He can't even catch his breath. And he's like, uh, I don't know, you know, something's in my room. I feel this, you know, kind of this oppression, this weight, my neck is popping, all this kind of, like, what's going on? I'm like, rebuking the devil, you know, in the name of Jesus. Like, get out of my son's room. And what he tells us is that he prayed for, he said, well, you know how we're supposed to pray for our enemies? And I said, yeah. He's like, well, I prayed for Satan. Not to Satan, all right? So just so you know, let's clear that up. For Satan, right? Because he's like, you know, if, if we're supposed to pray, love our enemies and pray for those, you know, persecute us. Like I, Satan is the, you know, public enemy, number one. And so I prayed for Satan. I thought about it and I had that Holy Spirit conviction. Have you ever been there? Where it's like this sucker punch from the Holy Spirit that just kind of spoke to me and, it's, and it said, God, why is it that as you and I get older in our years and we become these mature, responsible kind of adults, that the boundaries in which we love others, the boundaries in which we, we see the world, and the boundaries in the lengths that we are, are, will go to to reach people get smaller and smaller and smaller. The older we get, it seems like the harder our hearts become. Are you with me? The older we get, you know, the more mature. The more we're supposed to have it together, it seems like the boundaries in which we love the world around us become smaller and smaller. When Jesus teaches us, hey, if you want to be awesome in this world, do as the world does. Like, like do what the, live like the world. But if you want to do awesome in God's kingdom, you're supposed to come to Jesus with the faith like a, a child to have this kind of naive kind of faith like Jake. Jake was not thinking about the theological implications in the moment of praying for public enemy number one, right, is Satan. He wasn't thinking about that. He wasn't considering the, you know, the theological implications or the doctrinal impl implications. All he was thinking about was God's word said, I should do this, and so I'm gonna pray for my number one enemy. And I thought, wow, I wanna have you know, a heart like that. I want to I wanna love like that. But then I started to think, you know, how much effort and how much fight my son is going to have to keep, you know, in order to, in order to have that, that kind of heart. He'll have to fight against losing that kind of compassion, that kind of, of love. Because I'm thinking at my age, how much, you know, more difficult it is not to keep putting these tiny little boundaries around this thing called love that John's talking about. Because so that love plays out clean in our life, so that love never gets us in trouble. Love never, you know, makes a mess of things or, or, to, or to be love in a way that's safe, that doesn't stretch us, that doesn't challenge us in a way that we're never misunderstood. 
or a way that we never get maligned by it. And I'm thinking, I want to have a love for people that is so radical that I get questioned from time to time. I want to have a, a love for my enemies. I want to have that spirit of Jake to where I get accused from time to time. A love that is so illogical and countercultural to the way the world tells us we're supposed to treat and love one another. And the more I thought about it, the more angry I was getting, like a righteous anger at myself. Because I'm, I'm like, God, I want to have this. And if I'm not careful, and if you're not careful, the older we get in our age, the more we can play this game and we can do this adult little dance and we can get caught up in our church bubble to where we you know, forget that there are literally hundreds and thousands of people. In fact, exactly in Erie County, there's 276,046 people who are hurting, who are broken, who are far from God. In fact, I would go as far as to say there are people in this room who are alone and desperate. And we have the best medicine for that. This mercy, this grace, this compassion. And we could sum it up in one word, love. It's this irresistible bait that we have as followers of Jesus, as people who are on a mission to reach and partner with Jesus in seeking and saving the lost. It is an irresistible bait. And so what I want us to do is I want us to read this section again. And for better or worse, I'm going to add some, some commentary to it. And hopefully, pastorally, I'm going to challenge us to walk out of these doors with a deeper, a more passionate, a more intense kind of love for the world around us, to love people with a new degree of who God has called us to be. In fact, I first had to give the message I did a few weeks ago, because if we talk about love, you know, according to our world, love is tolerance. Or love is blind acceptance of anyone's, you know, beliefs and creeds and, and feelings. And, and we say things like, love is love. Can I tell you something? Love is not love. You know what we just read? God is love. And God loves people. God loves humanity. But he loves you too much to allow us to stay where we are. He loves us right where we are. But he doesn't want us to stay there. And so this is how John starts out. And he says something in verse seven. It sounds arbitrary, but I promise you that it's not. He says this, beloved. Somebody say beloved. beloved. And I got to stop right there. And I know some of your you know, math elites in the room are thinking, Colby, if you stop after every single word, there's 14 verses. You know, there's 362 words at one minute per word. That's six point whatever hours. This is going to be the worst Sunday ever. Well, hang with me because this one word is the foundation for, for every other word that John says. Because while it sounds like it's a simple greeting, beloved, beloved, it's not. Because we're already in chapter four. John has already done the, the pastoral, polite thing. He's already done the, the greeting thing. This is not an arbitrary word. When he says beloved, he's doing something very intentional because what does he say next? Beloved means uh, treasured. It means um, loved people. It means prized. He says, beloved, let us love one another. Beloved, let us love one another. And here's the truth. You can only love people to the degree you understand how much God loves you. Is that not true? Like you can only love the world around you and only have the ability to love others 
to the, to the degree to which you understand how much you are, are loved. When he says beloved, it's not arbitrary. It's not something he threw in there. John, in his sage phase of life, his elderly life, he spent 3.5 years with Jesus walking around. He understands love. He understands compassion. I mean, he's seen some things and experienced some things. So when he says, beloved, like you're love people, you are prized. He's trying to remind us we can't love people better than we know we are so loved by God. That's why, by the way, when we preach about who you are in Christ, which we do often, and talk about your identity, as redundant as perhaps that might, might seem, I will never stop preaching about your identity in Christ. Because the ultimate goal is for us to, with every breath that we have, is to be on this earth, do our part to love a hurting and lost and broken world the way that Jesus did. But when you do not know how much he loves you, when you do not understand your worth and your value, you know, to, to God on your best day and on your worst day and every day in between, when you do not know that he calls you a, a child of God, when he calls you a son or a daughter, when he says you are valued and loved, when you don't understand what the creator of the universe thinks about you, then we have a very small heart to love the world around us with. You know that? When we don't understand and make space available, because what happens is we carry things into our life. We carry guilt. We carry shame. We start to hoard doubt and disbelief. And when we start to hoard things in our heart, we don't have the capacity to love the world around us well. How many of you have ever seen that TV show, Hoarders? You've seen, you know what I'm talking about? There's hoarders. Like, it's actually a very sad show because people who have this sickness this disease to hold on to things. In fact, people go into their homes and, and there's no room for anything and there's just tears and they're trying to break free from this, this hoarding because their whole life is defined by their stuff and defined by keeping things and somebody has to go in and show them, hey, that's not who you are. That's not your, your life is not defined by that. Could it be that that's what God is asking us to do, followers of Jesus, to go out into a hurt world and say, that's not your identity. You're not defined by that stuff that you're keeping in your heart so that you and I can have a greater capacity to love the world around us with this kind of love. And I understand the pushback. People say, Colby, but the world is crazy. It's loco en la cabeza ese, right? And I get it. Kobe, they don't believe like me. They don't see things like me. They don't, they don't, you know, they don't experience things or I'm right and they're not right. And I think, did anyone see things from Jesus's perspective when he arrived on the scene? Through the lens of a perfect, sinless son of God? When he came, I think this world looked pretty jacked up to him, did it not? I don't think any of us had his perspective, his view. I think Colby looked pretty jacked up. I think we all looked like we had some, some issues, but you know what? He still called me beloved. He still calls you beloved. He says, you are so loved. You are so worthy. You are so valuable. And then he tells us to love one another with that same kind of love. But when your heart is so clogged, with this residue of doubt 
and guilt and shame and you carry that with you. It's difficult for us to see that you are in fact the Imago Dei, right? You are the, the image bearers of God. And now we are supposed to take that, that image of God into our work, into our family, into our relationships so that we can bring glory back to the Father. So when we preach this, how loved you are by God is not to tickle your ears. It's not just to give you some warm, fuzzy feeling so that you can walk out the door and understand. It's so that you can walk in this deep sense of security as to who you are. So in return, you can share that love with the world around you. You understand? Are you with me? In fact, I think a bunch of you want that. I think this is why we're here. It's that spirit of Jake that has that heart to say, man, I don't care if I'm misunderstood. I don't care if people you know, talk about me because of the way I love my enemies are the way I, 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 I help the, the hurting and the broken and the way that, you know, because of my, I look different or, to, or I help people that look different or think different or have a different, you know, race or different political view or different, doesn't matter, right? I want to be one of those people with capacity inside of my life to step across the aisle just like Jesus did. With so much confidence in who God says I am so that I can share that with a world that does not yet know their value. So all that to say, when John says beloved, I know that was the first word, beloved, he knows exactly what he is doing. Beloved, let's keep reading. Beloved, then he says let. And I got to talk about let. No, I'm just kidding. I don't. Well, just got to keep going. <laughs> You're like, really? I'm out of here. I'm out of here. Beloved, let us love one another because how we love one another is in direct proportion to our understanding of, of beloved over our lives. How I love you, how I care for my family is in direct proportion to how I understand I am loved by God. He says, for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God. And listen to this, knows God. You know who knows God really well? It might not be the people that you think because it's not the people who know a bunch about God. It's people who love others. That's who knows God. The fact the highest form of, of discipleship, Elevate Church, is not your knowledge of God. It's your love of people. It's how well we love the world around us. How well we, we, we take care of them. And I'm going to say that again because there is a, a masquerade in the church world. And it's a masquerade for spiritual maturity. And it says that how much knowledge you know right, is determines, you know, your, your closeness to God. But can I remind you that the guy who's writing what we are reading about simple love is the guy who also wrote the book of Revelation? So John knows some deep stuff. This guy can drop some knowledge nukes, you know, on us if he wants to. You know, he's seen things and knows things that you and I will never be able to understand or fathom, but still in his old age, in his sage years of life, goes back to true spiritual maturity, goes to the person who doesn't know the most, but to the person who loves best. That's what makes you mature in Christ. And his contemporary Paul would say this, knowledge, it puffs up. But you know what love does? It builds up builds up and encourages. And there's nothing wrong with knowledge. Like, like hear me out. There's so much in God's word that, that, that says, hey, we should pursue you know, wisdom and knowledge and all that's great. But when knowledge becomes nothing more than a cover up for, for hate 
or when knowledge becomes nothing more than an opportunity not to see the world as Jesus sees the world or get into the mess with other people. You know, when our knowledge becomes that, we become prideful and arrogant, and we do like Paul said, we get puffed up. But love, on the other hand, always builds up. So if we want to talk about spiritual maturity, John says in verse 8, anyone who does not love just does not know God. And let that sink in for a second. Is that not sobering? Is that hard to hear? If you don't, if you don't love, you don't know God. You can know a lot about God, but if you don't love, why? Here's why, because God is, say it out loud, God is, he's love. He is love. Like if you're new to this whole church thing and you're just checking it out, checking out the faith and seeing what it's all about, and you've heard that God is love, can I tell you something? You know, God doesn't just give love. He is love. He is the embodiment of love. In fact, it is the chief characteristic of God through which all other characteristics of God flow through. In fact, every other attribute of God is under the, the, the authority of his chief attribute, which is simply God is He's love. He's love. And we exist to elevate church to make that God known, to know God, to make him known. We exist to make heaven as crowded as we possibly can. We have little interest in winning arguments because we are passionately all about winning souls. Are you with me? Like, we don't care. We're not going to get into arguments about things because we are committed to winning souls. I'm not going to argue with people. You can't argue people in the church. You can't argue them into to surrendering their life to Jesus and telling them everything that they did wrong. We're going to win souls by demonstrating this radical, illogical kind of love. And there are things that God has gifted humanity with that all help to affirm the story of God and of God's word that he gave to us in, in the Bible. Science, science is one of them. If we have any scientists in the room, listen, I honor you. I love you. Like, I, I, science is my jam back in high school and college. I love science, all right? But I used to think that science was pitted against God, and it's not. It's taking them a while to catch up, but all it's doing is reaffirming our belief in this great God, this creator of the universe. So I honor all the scientists in the room, science teachers in the room. If you're a math teacher, I honor you. I don't understand you. I don't get you. Your brain is way bigger than mine, but I honor you because you are doing some of the great work of God by kind of explaining how vast the cosmos is with all the, the, the math and the calculations that go into all that and how big the universe you know, actually is. So I, I honor you. If you're in archaeology, I honor that. In fact, we could uncover and discover everything that helps affirm the word of God and present it to the world. But can I tell you, there would be a soberingly small number of people who would say, oh, that Jesus, I got to have that Jesus based on that discovery. You know what our number one apologetic is? Apologetic is the, the defense of the faith. You know what it is? It's love. It's this radical, illogical, unadulterated Love of God for the world around us. That's what we have to offer. That's why the Apostle John, one of our great pastors and friends, he's trying to teach us about love. Knowledge is great. 
Information is great. Reliability in God's word is huge, and we have to have that. However, none of it is more important than or holds a candle to how we go out and love a world that is hurting and broken. And we have the ability. We have the capacity as followers of Jesus. And again, I know that's not everyone in the room. But we have the capacity to go out and bring that same kind of love to the world around us. And here's what I mean, by the way, when I say it's illogical. This is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, you can speak in the tongue of men and angels. But if you don't have love, you know what you are? It's just noise. He says, you are a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. How many of you know those people that can talk a good game? that know all the church lingo. You know the people who pray in the King James version of the Bible? Dearest thou Lord Jesus, right? Like they, they, they have everything figured out. They have maybe even a bunch of knowledge, but then you watch how they live their lives and they're rude and they're mean-spirited and they're bigoted to people who don't believe as they believe or think like they think or, or look like they think or vote like they think. And so you sit there and go, man, you talk a good game. You sound like you, you got it all down, but you're an angry little elf, aren't you? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Paul says it's possible to speak great, to wax eloquent, to speak in the tongues of, of men and of angels, but have not love. He says you are a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. Like you're just, you're just noise, bruh. You know, you, have you ever met those people? Let's, let's do this. I'm going to grab a stick right now. You ever met those people that are like, hey, I need to tell you about Jesus. And the way they do it is kind of like, and what you should do. And so do you want to give your life to Christ right now? And they can explain the, the Romans road to you. And they can explain the four laws of spirituality to you. But whenever they talk, it's like, and Jesus. So you want to pray the sinner's prayer. And you're like, no, I want to rip my ears off my face right now. Would you please stop, right? That's what Paul's saying. If you don't have love, it's nothing. It's nothing. You can talk great. You can, you can have a great game. But without love, he goes on to say this, you can have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all the knowledge, and you can have faith that actually move mountains, but have not love, he says, you are what you're? Nothing. Nothing. Big fat nothing. He says you can give away everything you have. You can be delivered. You can deliver your bodies to be burned, but have not love. You gain nothing. And then he starts to talk about this crazy word called love and how illogical and counterintuitive it is to our culture. He says love is patient. Come on, somebody. That proves right there how illogical love is. We are not a patient generation, are we? Like, and I grew up in dial-up, you know, internet time. So come at me, bro. Like, seriously. But we still don't do patience very well. Like, we do Amazon Prime. We do Walmart. My wife ordered something from Walmart the other day. It showed up in, like, two hours or something. It, it's crazy. Like, we don't do patience. And I'm not talking about, you know, like, you know, getting somewhere fast or getting something fast. I'm talking about patience with people. That's what he's talking about. Because this is all about relationships. You understand that, right? He's saying you're going to need to be patient with people. You're going to love people in such a way that you are patient with them. Why? Because you're going to have to be patient with their testimonies. You're going to have to be patient when people's phones go off in church. 
you're just going to have to have this unbelievable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Gotcha. Gotcha. You're going to have to have this unbelievable kind of patience with people's backstories and testimonies in order to love them well. That's what he's saying when he talks about patience. He says love requires that kind of, of patience. Love is kind. Somebody tell me how illogical kindness is in our world today. It doesn't envy. He says it doesn't boast. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. Love doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. Ready for this one, married people? Plug your ears if you're not in the mood. He says, it keeps no record of wrongs. That's inconvenient, is it not? Because keeping records is the way that we, we win an argument. Keeping records is a way that we, we think we are keeping our, our heart safe in a relationship. When somebody wrongs us, we point to the way that they hurt us in the past. Like, what else do we have to keep an upper hand if we don't keep records of wrongs? You know, the only problem with keeping records is Jesus. <laughs> because he comes onto the scene and says, no, no, no. I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to forgive that Roman soldier even while he is driving those nine-inch nails into my hands and into my feet to fix me to a piece of wood. And I'm going to die and give my life for you, and I'm going to give my spirit to you and tell you to go out and love the world around you with that same kind of radical, illogical love that doesn't keep records of wrongs. And listen, we cannot just try to to be those people. We must be those people. We must be this way to the world around us. I truly believe the, the local church is the hope of the world. And sometimes we are a, a crazy bride. And we're a bridezilla, if you know what I'm talking about. We are a crazy bride. But we're still God's plan for, for the hope of the world to get the message out of Jesus. In fact, if we're going to catch fish, then we must capture the world's attention. We're going to catch fish. We must capture the attention of the world with the love of Christ. I got to keep reading. Verse 9. The love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. And I love this. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's a fancy word. It means atonement. Atonement, substitute for our sins. Christ took on our, our punishment. So God's wrath, God's judgment did not fall on us. And then John says it again because he knows you and I can't live this kind of practical, radical love if we do not know how much we are loved. So he says in verse 11, beloved. Like you need to understand you are so loved. If God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God if we love one another though God abides in us, and his love is what perfected in us. That's real spiritual maturity right there. Not how much you know, but how well you love. And by the way, um, it's also spiritually freeing. You understand that? You can't, you can't continue to be freer and freer if you are not learning to love people better and better. If your world is getting smaller, if the boundaries around your heart are getting smaller, you are not becoming more free. Let me just throw that out there. You're not becoming more free. So he just said, love, loving one another, God is powerful in us. His love is perfected in us. And then by this, in the band, you guys can come help me close this thing down. When we know that we abide in him and he in us, 
because he has given us his spirit and we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. And I love what it says next. Whoever confesses, somebody say confesses. You know, Christianity following Jesus being a disciple is a, is a confession. It's not an argument. It's a confession. In fact, in the last uh, three weeks in this series, we have had no fewer than, than 50 people raise their hand and indicate that they are making a decision to give their life to Jesus in just the last three weeks alone. And you know what they didn't do? Here's what they didn't do. They didn't argue with you. They didn't explain to you theologically how that took place and what happened. It's a, it's a confession. It's kind of like the guy in John chapter nine who, who was blind and, and Jesus came up to him and says, hey, you want to see? And he's like, yeah, I want to see. And then, you know, the, he, he was, there was a miracle that happened and the Pharisees approached him and said, how did this happen? How is it that you were blind, but now you, you see? He said, well, there's a man. And I don't know who he was, but he showed up, asked me if I wanted to see. And I said, yes. And he, he spit in some dirt and he made some mud. And he put it on my eyes. And at first I was a little mad about it. But then I could see. And I can't tell you how it happened. All I can tell you was, I was blind, but now I see. And because I met a man who could do that for me, I'm now on team Jesus. He might've said, I would have been on team Pharisee if you guys could have healed me and, and restored my sight, but you guys couldn't. In fact, now you're gonna try to kill the only man who could do that for me. Why? Because you know a lot about God, Pharisee. You just don't know him. You don't know him. You don't have that kind of, of love. And that, that is all of our story, by the way, to some degree. Those of you who have said yes to Jesus, the story is, I can't explain everything to you, but I met a man. And I can tell you, once I was, I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now, but now I see. So we have come to know and believe the love of God that he has for us. And then he says it again, God is love. God is love. And the more we understand and the more and more I, I get a revelation of how much God loves us, as Paul said in Ephesians 3, he said, the height and the depth and the breadth of the love of God in Christ Jesus, the more we're going to be able to see the globe and the world around us through his eyes. If you do this, would you stand to your feet all around this room? And I wanna ask you a question. Before we worship and before we walk out of these doors and into a world where there are hurting and broken people, let me ask you this. If your love is never messy, if the way that you love never gets you um, accused, perhaps, or the way that you, you love never stretches you and never grows you or never makes you maligned or never, never you know, has people questioning why you would have such a radical, illogical kind of love. Could it be that the picture of who you are in Christ is too small? That you just don't understand your worth and your value and how much God loves you because we can only love the world around us when we understand we are his beloved. Would you bow your head, close your eyes. God, right now in this moment, I pray 
that you would open up our spiritual eyes to see just exactly how much you love us. Like if we're gonna do a good job at loving the world around us, people that are far from you in our family or in our workplaces, strangers, neighbors on our streets, we first have to be able to comprehend the unbelievable love that you have for us. And so God, I pray right now that if there's people in this room or watching online that have never experienced that unbelievable, illogical love that forgives all of our sin, that keeps no record of wrongs, that removes our sin from our life as far as the East is from the West, that today would be the day that we understand the love that Jesus had for us and in return, give our love back to him by giving our life to follow him. And if that's you, in just a moment, I'm gonna lead us in a prayer. If that's you that would say, Colby, this is why I'm here. I understand just how much God loves me and I need to give my life to follow him, to pursue him so that I can better love my family, so I can better love my, my husband, my wife, the world around me. I know it first begins with this unconditional love that I've been given through Jesus' sacrifice for me. The Bible says if we confess Jesus as Lord with our lips and we believe in our heart God raised him from the dead, we would be saved. We would begin to experience that love and be able to give that love. His spirit would come live inside of us, making us new, giving us capacity to love really well. If you'd say, Colby, that's why I'm here. I want to surrender my life to Christ and follow him and receive that love and give that love. Would you throw your hand up wherever you are in this room or online right now? I want to say yes to following Jesus. Yes, yes. So many hands all around this room. Man, I see all of God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Man, I can't even count. Even online right now, you can let us know as well. You can put your hands down. And I want to lead us in a prayer that does that. The Bible says as we confess Jesus, is Lord. So let's do that right now together. In fact, I'm going to ask our entire church family to say this out loud with those around you, giving them strength and courage today. Come on, let's, let's pray together. Jesus, today I surrender my life to you. Thank you for dying for my sin. Thank you for this radical love. I receive it and I believe it. And I give my life to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. God, we pray right now that that love that you've given us would cause us to go out now into the world around us and share that same love of Christ, that we could build our love on that firm foundation of God, that we would receive it well so that we could live it well. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast, and we hope you really enjoyed it. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. Welcome to the family. We would love to know about it, so please let us know by going to elevatechurch.com yes. There'll be some practical resources that will help you as you start this journey. If you want to support the mission and vision of Elevate Church to help people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, go to elevatechurch.com give. We'll see you soon. Have a great week.